0: Flip your bulletins back over, Uh, and it's Mother's Day today. So you'll notice that we are going to do something special today uh, for the moms. That that we were in a series called Struggles. We took a break from that series, and we thought it would be fitting uh, to talk about moms today. The title of my message uh, is called Exceeding Expectations. Exceeding expectations. If you're not a mom, you have a mom. And so we all have, uh, we're brought into this world and this might surprise you by a woman. And so I want to just start off with something humorous. We're going to show you a video here in a second that's really kind of heavy and serious. And so I want to start off with something humorous for the moms in this place uh, and just give you a couple memes that I found online. Uh, I love this one. It's a list of responsibilities and questions that moms and dads get. So dad, uh, typically during the day, you'll hear one question. It'll be, where's mom, right, like if you're, how many of y'all have, are are married, you have kids in here, where's mom, Uh, moms, you'll get these questions, or or statements, I'm hungry, I'm cold, I'm hot, can I have blank, I want to watch blank, right, and never what you want to watch, where are you, can you ask dad, can you help me, he hurt me, I hear that over and over and over again in my house, she hurt me, I want to go there, where are we, why are we, why can't we, like that's what moms. that's the life of a mom, so if you have a mom, You've asked her a million questions that she didn't even care about but she acted like she cared about. So make sure you send her an email or a text or a phone call or take her out to lunch. Don't, don't send her an email. That was an awful idea. Don't text her. Take her out. Okay, next one. Next one. I love this picture. It's a bathroom break for moms. This is exactly how it looks. They'll find you, right? Like if you're a mom, you've seen this before, right? Lock the door. their fingers still come under there. It's the life of a mom. Here, here's another one. You know your mom when picking up. Another human to smell their butt is not only normal, it's necessary. I mean, I'll, come on, raise your hand if you're a parent, you've done that. You're like, everybody looks at you like it's crazy. You know if you're a parent, it's just part of, part of life. And so here's another one I like. Uh, call your mother and say something nice. And remember, it's not your fault. It's, it's your fault that she pees a little every time she sneezes. Love and sacrifice. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. But I've heard that that happens sometimes. So anyway, another one. You know your mom when you're going shopping at Target by herself feels like a vacation and going on a family vacation feels like work right like that's that's a true statement how many all love Target in this place moms you have a wife you send your wife to Target she always spends 50 bucks it's like the way that it is no matter what it's 50 bucks and so anyway here's another one this is a good one nine times out of ten children get their awesomeness from their mother that's true we should be thanking our moms and last one most importantly I don't always tell my mother how much I love her but when I do it's definitely not on Facebook so if you have a mom that's living that you're talking to, and if you don't have a mom that you, if, or you have a mom that you're not talking to, maybe this is a great opportunity for you to talk to her. Do not put how much you love her on Facebook. Nobody else cares except for her. It might be touching. I know, listen, call her or go to her house and let her know. I am so thankful for, for you, mom. And so I want to talk to you today a little bit, not just about moms, but I want to use a story from a, from a, from a family today. Uh, this is what the Bible says about moms, so I think this is so important, and, and women in general, because women are, let's face it, much tougher than men, All right, can I get an amen women, like the, the stuff that you have to do, uh, I'm glad I don't have to do, but the Bible says in Proverbs 31 about a great woman, it says she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue, she watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness, her children arise and call her blessed, if your kids tell you they hate you, if they, they tell you you're not fair, if they tell you you're mean, you're not like any other moms, blah, 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 Stay faithful to what God's called you to be, and the Bible promises that someday they'll call you blessed, they'll, 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 they'll rise up and call you blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. See, today I want to talk to, to the moms, but I want to talk to everybody, really. Uh, but before we get into talking about the moms, I, I want to specifically address the, the moms in this place, that maybe you, you weren't the perfect mom, like maybe you have regret, today is kind of a hard day, maybe you're an older mom and you didn't do everything right, maybe maybe you struggle with addiction in your... In your prior life and you didn't, you had kids but you didn't really invest in them the way you wanted to because you weren't all there, maybe you're a a single mom and you kind of struggle with your identity and, and if anybody is actually going to marry you because you have a kid and is there any good guys out there and I would encourage you, God's bringing somebody your way, just keep waiting out, don't marry the frog, right and so like, like keep going, Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you're, you're, you're the, you're the young couple that, that's, that's trying to get pregnant but you, you can't get pregnant, like you're, you're, you're deeply want to, you've tried everything. Uh, it hasn't worked, maybe, maybe you're just a girl in this place that has uh, just been shamed through life and you, you get attacked by Satan, he attacks your worth and he attacks your security or maybe you're a guy with the same issues. I want to I open this, this message up with a story today of, of, of hope in extreme disappointment. Hope in extreme disappointment, Purpose through an extreme amount of what could have been pain. So maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, my life would be different had I not went through, through this, and by the end of today's message, I hope that you're saying my life's going to be different because I went through that. My, my life has purpose and meaning, and that, that's part of my story. So I want to introduce you to a, to a story about a young couple in our church, Ben and, and Brittany Bradley. I want you to watch this story, and then I want to come back up here and speak to you for the next 15, 20, or, or 60 minutes. And So check the story out. <laughs>
1: So Ben and I met when we were in sixth grade and I was 11, Ben was turning 13. He invited me to his 13th birthday party and I was so excited because I had such a crush on him. And uh, we dated on and off throughout high school and then kind of did our own thing through college. Got back together, got engaged and we were about to be married um, in two weeks and Ben was in a car accident.
2: Truck hit me head on and then after that uh... My left ankle was crushed, and it took about 11 surgeries.
1: You know, we were just thinking we were going to be newlyweds, and you know, we were going to have this like awesome marriage, and it just ended up me being a caregiver. So when we had Brennan, things were looking up, and we, you know, it was kind of Ben was still sick, and it was it was still a challenge for sure. But you know, we had a little baby, and um, but then I had to have surgery, and I needed to have part of my intestine taken out three different times. Um, so then I'm in Philadelphia and he is trying to take care of Brennan and take care of me and it just never seemed like there was anything easy. Right? we yeah. pregnant with a little girl and
2: about two months after she was pregnant we decided that the struggles were getting really hard and you know she was pregnant and we didn't want to make her stressed out at all. So I ended up moving out in my own apartment
1: Then we had Bailey and that was hard in and of itself because it was like, I had a C-section, he wasn't in there with me. We had her for three weeks and for three weeks we had a little girl. And then one night, Ben wasn't here. Brennan was in the room and he was, all I could see was his little eyes and I just kept saying, stay in there, don't come out, don't come out and I'm screaming. um, You know, calling 911, I called my parents, Bailey's dead, she's dead, and I was in so much guilt. It was so, was so guilt-filled that it was my fault. I didn't want to feel the pain that you feel when you think about all the what was gonna be and what will never be. You
2: know, we needed something to help us deal with the loss and Brittany was into it the adoption. So we did a foster adopt program which was a lot of work.
1: Yeah, so we get a little one pound baby um, that was born at one pound 25 weeks and we bring him home and my mom says, what are you doing? Like, you cannot take loss anymore. It put so much strain on our marriage that after we adopted Brock, we adopted him and we separated because it was just to the point where neither one, Ben never grieved. Um, At that point, I made a very bad decision and I actually dated somebody
2: else. It was tough. I lived um, with a buddy when I got kicked out, and I lived eight houses down the street, and I would drive by every day seeing another vehicle here, someone taking care of my kids. That's when I first came to Journey. My sister, uh, Deb, um, she was going to Journey for a while. Her husband, Jeff, uh, plays at Limerick. He does the drums. So, I, um decided that, she said, come on over. So I kept on going and week after week, I kept on just feeling more and more and then just praying for something better to happen in my life.
1: One day I saw Ben and we looked at each other and God made us for each other and we knew it. You know, from that point, we got back together. We started going to a Christian counselor um, and we started going to journey. I was watching him change, you know, I was watching him change and I was changing and I was feeling God and there's a, a verse that God put on my heart. Um, it's in John chapter 13 verse 7 and it says, um, for for Jesus replied that you may not understand now what's happening, but one day you will. And I've clung to that because guess what? We don't understand why we went through all of that. but. Bailey dying has changed our lives for the better in almost every way. I mean, we, he gave, he, that was his child, and he chose us to give her, to for three weeks. Some kids, people never have a child, and we got her for three weeks. She never sinned, she never felt the pain that we've seen in just our marriage alone. My heart is like overfilled with the joy of what the Lord's done in our lives, and I know for 100% that we had to go through all of that hardship. In order to be prepared for whatever, whatever he is calling us to do.
0: I think one of my favorite parts of that this, that story, and I, I just want to—I don't know if Ben and Brittany are what service they were at in Limerick, but I just want to tell them thank you for for. Sharing that story and the, the bravery to, to share kind of through your, your hardest times of your life. And they've certainly experienced hard times. They've certainly experienced what I would call uh, high hopes uh, that, that came crashing down. The loss of a, of a baby, uh, a miscarriage, uh, a broken marriage, uh, a report from a doctor, unmet what I would call expectations. Those, those are really hard things to deal with, and I love what she says, she, she shared the words of Christ in, from John 13, she says, she says, you do not realize now what I'm, what I'm doing, but later you'll understand, so someday you'll understand, and then she said something really profound, she said, Bailey, that was a little girl that they, that they lost that I believe they'll see again someday, uh, she's with Jesus, they said, Bailey, uh, dying has changed our lives, of course it has, but then she said, for the better in almost every way. That the death of our daughter has changed our lives uh, for the better. There's a verse in the Bible, you're not going to have it in your notes, but in, in Proverbs 13 it says, It says, hope defers, ma- deferred makes the heart sick. Like when you, when, you, when you have these expectations and you, you're hoping for something, you have a child and you have this whole life planned out for that child and you have a marriage, you have your whole marriage planned out, you have kind of a career, just what I'm going to be and then something kind of knocks you off the track, that, that hope deferred can make you sick. That, that when you're hoping for something and it's not coming or it's not working or it's not happening, it can make you, it can make you sick. I don't know if you've ever been here before, but I've, I've been through seasons where, where I had hoped something was going to be and then it wasn't. And that in-between season of seeing kind of why I was going through what I was going, that was really hard for me. Back in 2004, I was working at a church in Oklahoma. Uh, this, was, this journey church was not even at the, at the forefront of my mind, and I could not see that in 2016. This is what it would what it looked like this is what it would be going forward but in 2004 uh, I was talking to my parents on the phone they're pastors of a church and they planted churches and they had an opportunity uh, to, to kind of plant a church in Quakertown Pennsylvania I knew nothing about Quakertown I was living in Oklahoma I was 24 at the time everybody let that sink in I was 24 years old at the time I'm 36 now it sucks and so anyway uh, I was 24 years old and I'm at a church that I, didn't, I don't want to be at anymore I just, it wasn't a bad church it just wasn't the place I was supposed to be. And, and I thought for, for a week after I had these conversations that this is where I was going to be going. I was going to move back to Pennsylvania. I was going to start a church in Quakertown with my parents' help. And I had all these kind of expectations. And then I received a call back a week later that, that it just wasn't going to work out. It wasn't time for me. Uh, my aunt and uncle, who are now pastor in a phenomenal church in Quakertown, uh, they were going to take it over, and it was a good thing, because if I would have taken it over, I would have ruined it. It would have never been what it is today, but, but in my heart, it was, it was a deep sense of unmet expectation. Like, I, I expected this. I prayed for this. I thought about this, and then from 2004 to 2005, God was silent. I had to keep going and working at the job that I was getting paid to work at at this church. I had to keep sitting through services as my heart was kind of moving somewhere else. And it was a really hard season of my life. And so if you're there right now where you've gone through maybe an unmet expectation, I I want this service to be uh, an encouragement to you. I want you to walk away from here and go, hey, I'm not not thrilled with everything I've been through, but I'm going to keep turning the page. I'm going to keep waiting for the end of the story. I'm going to keep riding this thing out. Here's why uh, having faith in God through unmet expectations is so so important. If you you tie God to always meeting your expectations, then he will never have the opportunity to exceed them. If you tie God, if your faith in God is always, God, if you give me this, I'm going to follow you. Oftentimes, our expectations are not as good as God's. Oftentimes, what we think is so important in our life, God's going, man, that's a really crappy plan you have for your life. Like, you're, you're dating a person that you shouldn't have dated, and it ends up kind of exploding in your face and you're going, God, why did you do that? And God's going, because that was really stupid. Like it would have hurt you. Like I have an exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more plan for you, yet you won't even allow me to, to exceed your expectations because I'm always constantly having to meet your expectations. So I want to talk to you about that today. I want to introduce you to another mom or a mom in the Bible by the name of Jochebed. If you've never been in church before, or you've been in church your entire life, you've maybe never heard of her. You know who she raised, though. You know who her son was. If you've been in church, her son was Moses. Moses was the, the leader of the Israelites, the Hebrew people. He led them out of, uh, of, of, of Egypt into the Promised Land. He, he, and if you, read, if, you, if you know your Bible, he's one of the greatest leaders that the Bible has. I mean, he, he was an amazing man, yet his life almost wasn't. Jochebed was, was his mom. Uh, she lived at a time when the Israelites, the Hebrew people, were, were slaves. They lived in the, the country of the empire of Egypt. What had happened is 400 years earlier, there was a man named Joseph, he was a Hebrew, uh, he kind of got in good, God really did a work through his life, and he becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt as, a, as an Israelite, as a, as a Jewish man. And, and so as he's working for the Pharaoh of Egypt, in Egypt, he, he becomes friends with him and, and he inv- begins to invite his family who was in the wilderness to Egypt, and what happens is they, 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 they set up camp in Egypt and they begin to multiply. And as they begin to multiply, years pass, Joseph dies, the, the pharaoh of Egypt dies, new pharaohs come, and they begin to get threatened by these people. Some scholars tell us there's over a million Israelites or Hebrew people living in Egypt as slaves, I and mean, they, had, they had mass produced over and over and over again, and they were intimidated by these people. In fact, they were so intimidated that the current pharaoh of Egypt said, any, any Hebrew woman that has a boy, kill it, drown it, do whatever you need to do, get rid of it. So something funny happens, just so you understand kind of where we're at, in Exodus 1, which is the story, it's the book of the Bible, it talks about how tough these Hebrew women were, and the midwives, the the people that helped birth babies from from the Egyptians, they come to the Pharaoh, and he says, how come you're not killing all these babies, you're not doing a good job of getting rid of them, and he looks, they look at the Pharaoh, and they say, uh, these women, they're tougher than us. And he says, what do you mean? He says, they don't even wait for us to get there. They push the baby out on their own. In other words, what he's saying is, they don't need no epidural. They don't need us, you know, teaching them how to breathe. They push the baby out on their own. They're back to work. That's how tough, like, that's a tough woman. Like, can I get an amen? Like, you're just like, I don't need I don't need a doctor. I'll just do it myself. Like, <laughs> if it was guys, we, you'd have to put us to sleep to do that. And so anyway, I don't want anything coming out of that part of my body. And so, see, they're this tough. Like, they're this, they're this Bad, he, and he, they're getting intimidated by him. So the Bible says that Pharaoh begins to want to kill them off. And so Jochebed uh, has a baby. It talks about her in Exodus chapter 2. It says, now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. It doesn't even give you their name. It gives you their name sometime later in the Bible, but her name is Jochebed. She becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son. His name was, was Moses. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Why? Because she didn't want somebody to drown her baby. She didn't want somebody to kill her baby. Could you imagine as a young mom trying to hide a a newborn baby, they do whatever they want, right? They don't sleep. They eat whenever they want. Life revolves around them. So she, for three months, is living under the pressure of keeping this baby boy quiet because she loves him. The story keeps going. It says, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch, then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. How desperate do you have to be? To say, you know what, nobody's going to drown my baby, but this is so bad, I'm going to put my baby in a homemade basket with some tar on it, I'm going to put it in the Nile River. This isn't like a creek, this is a huge river. I'm going to put it in the Nile River with all sorts of creatures and critters, and I'm going to float him down the river because nobody's taking my, my baby from me. She puts him in the river, she floats, him, she floats him down, the Bible says his sister stood at a distance, Miriam, to see what would happen. Watch this, verse 5. Then the Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw that the basket was among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. Verse 6 says she opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. What a moment. This, this is an Egyptian. You're supposed to kill. She would have obviously recognized this was not an Egyptian baby. What a moment. As a, a, a leader in the, the empire of Egypt, the country of Egypt, she should have killed this baby, but something happened. She feels She was pity on on him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Because obviously it's not her baby. Listen to how cool this is. Yes, go. So the girl went and got Jochebed, the baby's mother. She's put her dream out into the the Nile, her baby. And now she's getting her dream back. Now she's able to to, to bond with her, her child that was hers rightfully. The Bible says Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me. Not only that, I'll pay you. I mean, I'll say amen to that. Give me this baby, somebody better pay me. Moms deserve to get paid, right? So anyway, maybe we should call the future president of the United States, tell him that, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Now, now watch, watch how the story keeps going. It sounds like it's such a good story. Like oh, she got, sent her baby out, God brought her baby back. She's nursing her baby, she's bonding with her baby, the baby's growing, she's teaching the baby to walk maybe, teaching the baby words, teaching her mo- I'm mom, like I'm mom, teaching the baby how to, how, how to, how to maybe do some other life essentials, maybe, maybe teaching the baby to be potty trained, like big stuff. And verse 10 says this, but when the child grew older, she had to take him back to the Pharaoh's daughter. She had to take him back. So she took him back to the Pharaoh's daughter. And when the Pharaoh's daughter got the baby back, she decided, guess what? I'm going to name this baby as if this baby's mine. My name is Moses. Did you imagine how painful that must have been? Not only was she giving her baby up, but somebody was naming her baby. Somebody was naming, maybe for three years or however long she had this, this, this son of hers. Maybe she had plans and hopes for this son. You're going to do great things. And the truth is, how great of things is he going to do as a slave man? You're going to be the best bricklayer. You're going to be the best slave you can be, and she's, she's invested in him, but there's not a whole lot of hope, and then the Pharaoh's daughter takes the baby away and says, I'm going to name this baby as if it's mine, and some of you can relate to that because you feel like somebody else has had the ability to name your future, like you, you could have been all these things, but because of what somebody else took for you, took from you, they've had the opportunity to name who you are, to name you broken, to name you beaten, to give you a name that scarred you for, forever, and what's so cool about this story is we think that, that she's naming this, this little man Moses uh, b- because it's the, wor- the name she's choosing for him. But the truth is this is the name God chose for him. And, and the coolest thing about the Bible, the Bible says that you, you have a chance to serve the author and the perfecter of your faith. That, that your future is being held in his hands and he is naming you. And nobody else gets the opportunity to steal from you what God has sent into you. And so I want to help you kind of work through this, because I think we can learn some lessons through the story of Jochebed. She she had, I believe, what was unmet expectations. Nobody has a baby and says, I want to give the baby up. Nobody has a a family and says, I want to give this up. Nobody is living life and says, I want to get sick. Unmet expectations are a really hard thing for us to, to deal with. So I want to give you four things that are going to help you to work through or walk through what I would call unmet expectations. Number one is this. It's very important to everything in your life. The way you think is is, is how your life goes. Are you with me? Like if you walk outside uh, and you look at a car and you say, that's a crappy car, that's a crappy car, that's a crappy car, it's going to be a crappy car. If you walk out to the same crappy car, maybe somebody else doesn't have a car, and they walk out and go, dang. Right? Beauty is always in the eye of the beholder. It's how you define things in your mind that determines how you embrace things in your life. So I need you to understand and embrace this really important fact. You need to understand this wholeheartedly. Put it deep down in who you are. Number one, God cares for you more than you care for yourself. God, some of you are going, man, I got a husband and wife, and they care a whole lot about themselves. They care a lot more for them. Like, I don't know that God could anybody could care more for them. They are so selfish, right? Like You're like, I have a friend. And here's the thing about selfishness. Selfishness is really us just covering up a fear that nobody's really thinking about us. Selfishness is a fear inside of us that there's nobody in the details of our life And so if nobody else is thinking about us, we better be consumed with ourselves That's what selfishness is at the core. So if you struggle with that, the truth is you're just afraid Nobody's paying attention to you, but I want to encourage you today I want to encourage you to embrace the fact that God he cares more for you than you do even if you don't have a relationship with him even if you're, you're far from him, even if you turned your back on him, even if you ran from him, was, he still deeply and desperately cares about you. So he's saying, How do you know he cares about me? How did he get you to church today? I bet you never thought you would be here six months ago. How, how has he gotten you to this point? He's worked every little infinite detail out to get you, get you here. And he cares more for you than you could ever imagine. How do I know that's in the Bible? Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalms 139. He says, your your eyes saw my unformed body. He's talking about the womb. When you were inside your mommy's womb, it was 40 weeks. It was like 27 weeks, and she's like, okay, enough of this. I'm done with this, and it gets like 36 weeks, and it's hot, It's 90 degrees outside. She has a big belly, and and she's miserable, and she's, she's, she's hurting, and she's tired, and she's going, just come out. Gets down to the 40th week, and she's like, I'm going to go get Mexican food, I'm going to do yoga, I'm going to do whatever I have. Just come out. She's talking to you, telling you to come out, and God's going, no, I'm not done with them yet. I'm not done forming them. Like, I, I know them. He's saying, you, you, you thought of me when nobody else was thinking about me. When, when, when I was going to the doctor, and they were putting that little, woof, 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 and they're telling you, oh, the heartbeat is 139, and they're going, oh, it looks like a... Like a leg or whatever else it is. I don't know what it is. It's a boy. It's a girl. We don't know. And, and your parents are getting super excited the whole time, every moment, even though your parents are getting a glimpse of you being formed, the Bible says every second of you being in there, God's watching you. Every moment, every millisecond, he's forming you. He's, he's making you. All the days that the Bible says are ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. Every moment you've given me on this earth, you wrote about, you know about. How precious to me are your thoughts. He, he says, God, how vast is the sum of them. Some of them watch this then. Some of you are going to like this because it's almost beach time. You're going to say, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Uh, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, I'm going to embrace the, the fact That God is obsessed with me, not in a self-centered way, but in an amazed way. That God, I cannot believe that his thoughts about me are that vast. I cannot believe that he cares about me. He shouldn't care about me. I'm a scumbag. I'm a sinner. I'm selfish. I'm a wreck. But his grace saved me. And I cannot believe how much he cares about me. He cares about you more than you ever understand. If you're a mom, you know this is true of your kids, right? They have no idea how much you care about them. They they have no idea how much you think about them. My my son, I have have three sons, but my youngest son, uh, Harrison, he's two and a half years old. He's obsessed with with smartphones, like uh, obsessed. If I gave it to him, I wouldn't see him for hours, right? Sometimes I do. And so anyway, like it's just free babysitting. Here you go, I'm taking a nap. Check this out. Like he's obsessed. My wife don't do that though, and don't tell her I do that. And so anyway... He'll be on there, he'll, he'll go on and play games, like they, they know how to work the phone, it's crazy. He go, he'll find safari, he'll go to his, you he he don't know anything else, can't even pee in the toilet yet. And so, but he knows that. He goes to his pictures, he'll look at the pictures of himself over and over and over again, play this stuff. He's obsessed with the phones, but because we are not quite sure that, that the phone is not sending all sorts of radiation through his body and he's so little, we try to limit how much time he spends on the phone. Also we want to be able to concentrate when he's not looking at a screen. So we limit the time that he spends on, on his phone, my wife does. Me, me, different story and so anyway so sometimes she, like and he sneaks it like if the, the phone's sitting out he'll like like a little lion thief will come in and like roll on the phone and like you'll you'll find him somewhere you know if it's quiet he's on the phone so she'll find him she'll take it from him and and he acts like like she just ruined his life forever we take the phone he literally if he's sitting he'll just fall backwards and just act like he's dying like, like you just destroyed every whimsical dream that he has for his future, right? He's killed. And the truth is, the reason my wife is doing that is because she doesn't just care about this moment. And most of the time, that's how we live. Most of the time, we're not looking out going, okay, I got 30 more years, 40 more years on this earth. I'm not sure why this is happening, but I think it's going to work out because you said it would. We're going, God, why didn't you do it now? Why can't I have the phone now? God, why can't I have the spouse now? Why can't I have the kid now? God, why can't I have this? Now, and God's going, because I care so much about you, you can't even comprehend it. You don't even understand. And in fact, Jesus, he reiterated what the psalmist said in the Gospels when he said, listen, you need to stop being afraid. God has his eyes fixed on you. He uses an illustration. He says, listen, are not sparrows sold in the market for a few pennies? Sparrows are birds. They're the most worthless birds at that time, cheapest birds He says, not one sparrow is sold in the marketplace that I don't know about. Not one. He says, you, you, I'm fixed on you. You are my best and greatest creation. I put you on this earth and I care deeply about you. Don't you think Jochebed was seeing that in this moment? Think about how detailed God was in this moment as she put this baby in the Nile River. I think she was thinking, if anybody's going to kill my baby, it's going to be me. Nobody else has taken my baby from me. Nobody else has taken my dream from me. So she puts this baby in the Nile. And think about how detailed that God is in your life. If you think about her life, as that baby's floating down, it just happens to be going down at the right moment for the Pharaoh's daughter to come out. Happens to cry at the right moment for the Pharaoh's daughter to hear it. Happens to be found by the, maybe the one kind person in the, in, the, in the Egyptian kingdom. Like If it was found by any other ruler, any other person of authority. They probably would have taken that baby and pushed the basket underneath. But isn't it amazing she was found by maybe, maybe the one kind, ruler, person in authority, and she, her heart melts. Wasn't it amazing that, that, that then Marian Mary was there, his sister, and he was able to go get the mom and say, you want a little bit more time, and he was, she was given more time. Like Think about how detailed that he was. God cares. More for you than you could ever imagine. Number two is this, is I think you need to also say this all the time to yourself, God is doing more than I will ever understand. Not only does God care more for you than you can ever imagine, God is doing more right now in your life than you will ever comprehend. Think about it as a parent once again. Isn't there so many times, maybe you're not a parent in this place, but think about your childhood. How exactly did that lunch always get in your bag? How did that dinner always on the table if you you were lucky enough to have dinner on the table? How did you always get what you were supposed to to have at the right time? Why was your homework always in your bag? Because you know you forgot it. Oftentimes our parents, especially our moms, will be doing things when we're sleeping that we never know they're doing. Like how many mornings do my kids wake up, come downstairs, they think the world revolves around them already, they walk down the stairs and and they, they sit down. And they eat the breakfast, and the first question is, is my lunch ready? What they are assuming is somebody was up early to get their lunch ready. Maybe it was an angel, maybe it was a ghost, or it was probably their mom. Like, and oftentimes, there's way more going on behind the scenes than we will ever recognize. There's more prayer. There's more planning. There's more thinking about than you will ever understand. I'll make it practical for myself. When it comes to church, the common joke for pastors has always, has always been, you only work one day a week, Right? So I feed into that. People are like, what are you doing? I'm going golfing all week. I'll see you next Sunday. (laughs) But the truth is, for this hour service right here, this one hour service, this this one that you're sitting in right here, it takes a full-time staff of 10 people working over 40 hours a week, every week, a bunch of part-time people, and an army of volunteers just so that you can sit here right now. There's so many things that happen in the office during the week that you will never see just so that this experience can be put on. And the same thing is true of your life, that there is more than you could ever dream going on. I I want you just to think about Jacob's life, because we could step back and go, man, we don't really know what her life turned out to be, but we do know what her kids did. And sometimes, the most important contribution that you'll make in this world will not be something you do, it'll be someone you get to raise. It's really powerful if you're a mom, you're like, "I I don't know if I'm doing anything, man, you're raising a world changer. So if Jochebed would have kept her dream together and said, I want my three kids, I'm going to bring them in, her kids would have been slave kids, but God was wanting to use her kids to rescue, rescue his people. So Moses goes away, he, he's in a palace for, for a time until he's close to 40 years old, the Bible says. He ends up losing his mind one day because he's a Hebrew living as an Egyptian prince, and he loses his mind when he sees a guard beating up one of his fellow Hebrews, and he kills him, and he runs from, from From Egypt and his story should be over. He spends 40 years in the wilderness hiding from this, this past. But God had a plan. Every detail at the palace, everything he was learning, the platform that he was building was gonna give him the opportunity to go back to the Pharaoh of Egypt as he was gonna be the messenger for God to tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. We're leaving. His brother Aaron, he became the first pastor, the first priest his sister Miriam they cross the Red Sea the Bible says the next thing they do is they sing a song that she wrote she was the first worship leader see Jochebed she could have stepped back and go God what are you doing the truth the truth was he was doing more in that moment than she could ever dream possible he's doing more than you'll ever see than you'll ever understand and that you'll ever comprehend that's what it says in Philippians 1 be confident of this it says that he who began a good work in you watch this He'll carry it on to the completion until the day of Jesus Christ, that he began a good work in you, and he's going to keep it going. Two more for you. Number three is this. is just because God asked you to let it go does not mean you're losing out. I think this would have been the number one thing she, she wrestled with, and I think we wrestle with this. God, you took this child. God, you took this job. God, you took my spouse. God, you took my health. God, why are you taking this from me? Billy Graham, a great preacher, he used to say that when God takes something away from you, he never does so without the intention of replacing it with something better. God is, a, is, is, a, is an upgrader, not a taker. I would argue that so I'm blue in the face. That sometimes what it, when it appears like God is asking you to let go of something, what he's actually doing is getting your hands free so he can place something better in it. When he's asking you to walk away from a relationship, when he's asking you to walk away from a career, when he's asking you to walk away from a lifestyle choice, he's not taking something from you. He's giving something to you. A young girl one day was going through the grocery store. She was at the checkout line with her mom, and she looked left and they have all that that stuff there that they get you to buy on your way out. She saw a little toy uh, necklace of that was pearls, looked like pearls, and she said, "Mommy, I want that." Her mom was trying to teach her to be a good lesson, and she said, if you want it, you need to save the money. Up It's ninety-five. You, you have a few dollars or a few pennies at the house. You save up a couple dollars from, from your, your, your birthday. You do a couple chores. We'll, we'll come here, and we'll get it. So she saved up the, the $2 that she needed. She went back a few weeks later. She bought these pearls. She wore these pearls everywhere. You can imagine. She saved her own money. They meant something to her. The only time she didn't wear them was in the water because if she wore them in the water, it would turn her neck green. So every night she'd put the pearls back on, sleep, get up, get ready, put the pearls, she wore them everywhere. One night her daddy came into her room, he always tucked her in, always read her a story, always sang with her. He was a great daddy, he came into her room and he said, do you love me? She said, yeah daddy, I love you. She, like, Give me your pearls. And She said, no, no daddy, I love these pearls, you can have that pony that you bought me, that little toy pony, you can have that, take that. And he said, okay, I love you. And he walked out the room, another, another night he comes and he says, do you love me? She said, Daddy, you know I love you. He said, well, let me have your pearls then. And she said, Daddy, you can have my pearls. You can have whatever stuffed animal you want. You pick. A few nights later, he comes walking back into the room. She has her pearls on, and she's sitting at the end of the bed, and she's trembling. And as she's walking in, she makes eye contact with her daddy, and her daddy comes in, and she says, Daddy, I love you. And he says, I know you love me. No, Daddy, I love you enough to give you my pearls. So she takes her junky pearls off of her neck, and she places it in her dad's hands, as if she's giving a sacrificial offering to her dad. And as she places these pearls in her dad's hand, her dad sets them down, reaches in his back pocket, pulls out a purple velour little, little sack, pulls it open, and pulls out a real set of pearls and hands them back to her. She said, What are these? He said, he said Those were fake. These are real. I've been saving these, waiting for you to give up your, your fake pearls because I have the real thing for you. And, and oftentimes, that's how God works. We're carrying around things that we think we need. We're walking through unmet expectations. We're wondering why. We're holding on to something. We keep holding on to something. Some of you, you're a single person. You keep going back to an unhealthy relationship. Just holding on. God's saying, let it go. Just because you're letting it go doesn't mean you're losing out. I would argue to I'm blue in the face that God never asks you to give up anything for him. That he's always taking you somewhere else. Just Just because you have to let go doesn't mean you're losing out. And and number four, lastly, I think this is is so true, is is we don't necessarily have to celebrate today the plan that we've gone through, the unmet expectations. But we can have confidence in God's purpose. I'm not asking you to celebrate. I would never look at Ben and Brittany and say, hey, let's let's celebrate the loss of of Bailey. Let's sing together. I would never look at them and be insensitive enough to, to expect them to be happy about that to be excited about that, but, but I would look at them and I would, would know without a shadow of a doubt that maybe they don't celebrate, but I, but I know that they have confidence. See when, you're, when your faith in God is based on your circumstances you're facing, you will always be shaken. You always go through things and be like, God I don't know if you really got this. I don't know if you really care about me as much as you say you care about me. I don't know if you're really doing as much as you say you're doing. God, you're asking me to let go of this. It feels like I'm losing right now. And the truth is, is just because you get to the fork in the road where it's tough, doesn't mean you have to celebrate it and go, oh, this is so easy. But I I do hope that in those moments that you would develop a deep sense of confidence in the purposes of God, that he's a good God, that if you would just keep watching the movie, if you would just keep flipping the pages of the story, the Bible says that he's already finished the story, and he's a good author. And he's faithful to complete it, that I believe that in these situations, you just need to keep flip, flipping the pages. Me and my sons, we watched Star Wars, the last one yesterday. I never watched any Star Wars in my life. I'm not a dork. And so, but we watched it yesterday. Sometimes people get so mad. They're like, have you seen Star Wars? I'm like, no. Well, why? I'm not a dork, right? So, some, somebody got really mad, like really, really mad at me. You know, well, that's Star Trek. Never mind. And so, I watched it yesterday, seventh one. I, I apparently, the seventh one. I don't know. I'm not going to lie, I kind of liked it. But as we watched the movie, we turned it on, my kids were like super excited because they have friends that watch Star Wars and all this stuff's going on. So they're like, they know more about Star Wars than I know about Star Wars. They're telling me about these people. All I know about Star Wars is, is Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and those people because I, I heard about them. I watched It's a Bits and Piece of the movie, but, I, but I'm not like a religious fan of Star Wars. I didn't know George Lucas, didn't make the movie. I didn't know any of that, right? So we watched this movie and I said, I said, before we watched the movie, we turned it on. I said, do not ask me one question this entire movie. In the nicest, most loving way, I said, don't ask me anything about anything. I don't know anything about this movie. Let's just watch it. So two hours and 30 minutes go on, and, and, and what I noticed about, about the movie, just like every other movie, is every time you watch a good movie, it takes you like, like this, right? Somebody's getting killed. If you haven't watched the movie yet, Han Solo gets killed by his son, who I thought was Darth Vader, but he wasn't Darth Vader, and so and he has a, a special lightsaber looks like an upside-down cross. I didn't know what to think about that, and so he was the devil, like all this stuff, and so and all this bad stuff happens, and, and you're going like this, and bad stuff's happening. But what I've noticed about, about good movies is if you just keep watching it, the good guys always win. Like, there's, there's movies where they don't, where you're like, that's it. That's the dumbest movie ever. I'm never going to watch that again. But good movies, Rocky, Star Wars, something like that, some good movie, you, you watch it over and over and over again, and it takes you through this roller coaster. Where you're like, I don't know about this. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how the good guy's going to come out on top. But then you keep watching it, and you're like, that's right. Every time the ending is better than the story and it always ends up the same way, it's finished, the good guy always wins. You just got to keep watching. You just got to keep watching. And in your life, in, in your life, you just need to keep watching. You need to keep paying attention. You need to keep the controller fixed on the TV. You don't fast forward, don't go back. Just keep watching. The Bible is clear that he has finished your story and the ending is righteous and good and filled with purpose and filled with meaning and he cares about you more than you'll ever know and he's doing more than you will ever know and just because on this chapter and in this page and in this section of the movie he's saying let go doesn't mean you're losing out and you don't have to celebrate right now. But you can stand in confidence and say, my God, he's working out the plan. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. No matter what happens, my God will work all things for my good. That's how you get through unmet expectations. You keep watching the movie. You keep reading the book. You keep flipping the pages. You'll finish it. He's a good God. He cares more than you'll ever know. Would you stand up with me all over this house at Plymouth meeting in Limerick? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes for me? Just, just in this moment, just in this moment, one of my favorite verses of the Bible, one of my favorite men in the Bible is Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 29, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. You've seen it on every coffee cup. This is For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I know the plans, that's, that's you, I know the plans you have for me, I know what you're doing, plans to prosper me and not harm me, plans to give me hope and a future. Listen, it's not your circumstance that's ruining your life, it's the way you're seeing it. You're not a victim, you're victorious. The Bible says you're more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus our Lord. Nobody has named your future. Nobody can name your future except for God. I don't care what's been said about you. I don't care what's been spoken over you. I don't care what people have done to you. I don't care who's abandoned you. I don't care the mistakes that you've made. Man, you have a God that created you, loves you more than you could ever dream possible, and he is doing more in this moment than you will ever know. For some of you, what he's doing in this moment is he's drawing you to himself. Maybe you would say, you know what? I I have woken up every day for my past life, for for the past month, and I am deeply afraid and stressed out and I have anxiety and fear and worry. It's hard for me to get up. It's hard for me because I I fear that nobody cares about me, nobody's thinking about me. I fear that I'm stuck in my past. I fear that the mistakes that I've made have been too many. I fear that I'll always be an addict, I'll always be a cheater, I'll always be in this this filth, this cycle. Listen. Nobody gets to name you except for your creator And he's named you friend. He's named you son. He's named you daughter He's named you saved. He's named you. I'm gonna give you grace and mercy and hope and maybe you're in this room And you're struggling with the fact that God cares for you. How can God care for you? Here's how I know God cares for you. I Know he cared for you the Bible says in John three sixteen that God so cared for the world that he so loved you that he sent his only son Jesus he died on the cross, he was put in a tomb on the third day he rose from the dead, that he died for you, for your sins, in your place. The Bible says that whosoever believes in that death, burial, and resurrection shall not die, but have everlasting life. Have life on this earth, abundant life, and have a future. That's how I know how much he loves you. I know how much he loves you because he, what he was willing to give up for you. He gave up everything to get to you. He's done everything in his power to get you to this moment. I hope you hear his voice today, and I hope you respond to it, and how you respond to his voice. The Bible says, if you would confess with your mouth, and you would believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died for you on a cross in your place, in your sin, that he redeemed you and bought you at a high price with his life, on the third day after they put him in a tomb, he rose from the dead. Not only did he defeat and pay for your sin, but he defeated hell. And now when you take your last breath on this earth, the Bible says if you're in faith, you have faith in Jesus Christ, you've accepted to get to salvation, that your next breath after this life will be with him forever in eternity. Not because you're good, but because he's good. He has named your future. He has bought you at a high price. Today, your job is to receive that gift. I'm going to confess, and I'm going to believe. And so if you're in here in this moment, you say, you know what? I believe God cares about me. I believe God's brought me to this moment. I'm going to make my faith. I'm going to put my faith, my hope, and my trust in Jesus Christ at our Limerick campus, at Plymouth meeting, and right here, if that's you, we have pastors standing all over the place to see you when you raise your hand. I'm not going to make you come forward, but I am going to pray with you as we close. And the way you pray, maybe you've never prayed before is you're just going to talk to God like you would talk to me and you're just going to invite Jesus into your life right now I'm just going to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life if that's you right here in this moment in Phoenixville would you put your hand up all over this place and say you know what today I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life I see a hand if you're at Plymouth meeting in Limerick why don't you shoot your hand up in the air so that we know we're praying with you We're praying with you as we close. Is there anybody else here in Phoenixville who would say, Pastor, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Maybe you're confused by why we're clapping. We're clapping because we're excited for you. We know how good God is. We know what he wants to do in and through your life. And we know this is the best day of your life. This is the best day of your life when you realize you're not here by accident. Somebody created you. Somebody's thinking about you. Somebody has saved you. Is there anybody else who say, Pastor, that's me. I see another hand. Yeah, right here, right here. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Is there anybody else who says, Pastor? That's me. If you're a believer in this place, why don't you just pray for these people? Just pray that God would do what, what he set out to do as they're And Is there anybody else who says, Pastor, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life in this moment? I'm so thankful for the response here at Plymouth Meeting in Limerick. Would you pray with me as we close? Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you've done in our houses. Thank you for your word that it never returns void. It never returns void. Lord, when we send it out, it accomplishes what it's set out to accomplish, which is to change people's lives forever, Lord. It's active and it's living. It meets us right where we're at, Lord. And so I'm thankful that those in this place that maybe struggle with anxiety, fear, worthlessness, uh, doubt, Lord, they're leaving this place full of life full of hope, full of comfort. Lord, the grace of God is filling them up from the inside out, and you are changing them from this day forward through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lord. As we leave this place, Lord, for those that are struggling on this Mother's Day, they're struggling through unmet expectations, Lord, we hold firm to the fact that today that we give you permission to not meet our expectations because we believe you're a God that can exceed them. Lord, the Bible says you can do exceedingly more than we could ever ask, dream, or imagine. So we leave this place with hope that's built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, Lord. So thank you for this day. In your name we pray. And everybody here at Plymouth Meeting in Limerick, you said amen.